Hello everyone, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro with you, aka Bicycle Mark. You're listening to Citizen Reporter, and I've been away a while. It's all related to fatherhood and moving house. New town, no longer Amsterdam. I'm in Harlem, coming to you from Harlem, and still getting a grip on how things work both in this city but also as a father. Trying not to speak too loudly as a baby sleeps just down the hall, but I now have a home with a hall and rooms. It's a whole new world. In the time that I've been away from podcasting, I've been thinking about podcasting and listening to podcasts, and I had the great privilege of recording an interview before this, let's call it a hiatus. It was just as the war in Ukraine began. Unbelievable to think how long it's been going on, all these... I guess we're at four months plus. And so I recorded this interview and I really consider it a, a special conversation, a, a unique human being with a project that I think is well worth learning about. And I want to personally apologize to Yulia for the time that it took to finally publish this podcast. But I think the message remains and maybe actually listening to it now in June of 2022 when it was recorded somewhere around April of 2022. It's um, perhaps interesting to hear how much we've learned and how much maybe we've not learned as the war unfortunately continues and people continue to suffer at such a unnecessary and, and just offensive level. So without further ado, I will get into this fine interview and I will catch you more regularly starting this summer so stay tuned for that stay subscribed to citizen reporter and without further ado let's connect to yulia my name is yulia skubitska and i am a scholar uh, and a project director for the world childhood museum in ukraine yulia thanks so much for making the time to speak today i mean these are busy times. I think there are always busy times when you're uh, working in the world of museums and, and content uh, from different people around the world. Um, I wanted to introduce the War Childhood Museum on this podcast that we have never discussed it, you know, so it's laying the groundwork for the audience. And then definitely get into the specifics, how it works, and, and your role. Take us to the maybe the beginning in terms of the idea. We know there are museums in this world. Many of us experience history museums, of course, that will sometimes touch on war, but the War Childhood Museum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the uh, the idea uh, dates back to 2010 when uh, our founder, Yasminka Khalilovich, uh, decided to ask a question on social media about, uh, I think, it sounded like uh, what was your war childhood, or what, what did it, mm. what did it mean for you? Uh, the answer should have been in a, 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 like a tweet, so something very short. And uh, the assumption was that uh, so many adults uh, who experienced Bosnian War. Uh, already had an opportunity to share their experiences, uh, create support groups, just somehow reflect and work out 
what they went through. However, uh, it uh, happened so that children were really not asked these questions. What was it for you? And uh, Yasinko was wondering if he is, if there are other people who would like to be asked. And it turned out that uh, there were quite a, quite a few, around 1,000 answers, maybe more in three uh, months. And uh, this is how the idea of uh, publishing a book based on these responses started. Uh, the book is now translated into several European languages, uh, including French, Polish, German, uh, English. And uh, actually, the first translation was in Japanese. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, during the process of working on a book, Yasminka started talking more, corresponding more with people who wanted to participate in the project, and they started giving him objects mm. to which their memories of the wartime were connected. This is where we can date uh, the start of the history of the museum itself. Um, as the collection started growing, there was a need to understand what can be done with these objects. And uh, after several years of uh, thinking out the methodology and the correct approach to exhibitioning and research, uh, in 2017, uh, the War Childhood Museum opened its doors in Sarajevo. The very important principle behind the work of the War Childhood Museum is that it uh, uh, refrains from um, commenting on the war. Like it, it does not provide a single narrative about the war. You know, something that we often see in the museums, there is an introduction, there would be data analysis, things like that. Uh, the War Childhood Museum is solely focused on presenting the voices of people who were affected by war as children. And that's, that's a very big difference. It creates a very intimate atmosphere and uh, it really creates this feeling of connection between the visitor and uh, people who decided to share their memories and objects. I believe that uh, the World Childhood Museum is creating a unique experience of uh, thinking about war. And uh, I do believe that it's also very valuable that it is not really providing answers. It just wants you to listen, to read, to reflect, maybe to feel as well. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't demand you to accept a certain narrative. Hmm. I've gone through uh, virtually uh, I've not yet had the pleasure in person. The pleasure or the profound uh, thinking, because uh, uh, I think it's not always joyous. Um, but I have really gotten something from looking through the online co collection. Uh, because the objects, indeed, as you say, it, it's, it's an object. Y you may be able to recognize it from your own life, even if you didn't experience war. But now you're, you're hearing what it meant for someone during a conflict uh, specifically. So there's, uh, I appreciate the way actually you don't have to have lived through a conflict to um, be able to connect and 
Ja. Ja, the thing is that uh, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a dangerous illusion that you can live through the conflict by being in the museum. And this is a practice that uh, historical museums uh, right now are trying to avoid. And uh, if you talk to museum professionals, they would be, please do not recreate. Because um, there is always one big difference. Uh, in the museum, you always remember that you are in a safe space, if you, were, if you have not been affected by war. Mm. So... When you hear the shooting, when you see everything, you are still a spectator. You do not become a part of it. Mm -hmm. However, if you have been affected by war, you can get re-traumatized. Yeah. So it doesn't serve anyone. And plus the illusion that you just experienced the war by watching or participating in some interactive activity in the museum, it creates a bigger gap in understanding between people who actually have experienced war and those who haven't. Because those are very different bodily, bodily reactions, too. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very important to understand that the person who has survived military action has an experience that is unique to this type of group. There is no other way to experience the same. And uh, frankly speaking... Let's be honest, I would not advise anyone to, I would not wish um, right. anyone except for maybe a small group of people in a bunker in Altai, Russia, mm. uh, to experience that. You listen to citizenreporter.org. You're listening to citizenreporter.org. Because I love the personal experiences as well. I think it's something that uh, can connect us as well. Your your role uh, with the War Childhood Museum. Uh, I think you started around 2018, but I'll let you tell that story. Um, but because uh, when I first saw it, I also thought, oh, it's in Bosnia. I could understand many people coming forward locally, of course, and then uh, uh, more internationally across borders. Um, but at the time, tell me how you, and maybe the why, uh, you got involved. Well, uh, the decision to open an office in Ukraine uh, has been made in 2020, but the research started in 2018. I did not participate in that part of research. It was done by another colleague. Uh, I joined in 2020 as a project director. Uh, and, uh, well, uh, for me, it was... A professional choice, it, uh, I saw the cause to which uh, I strongly believe this cause was worthy of devoting uh, eight hours per day, mm -hmm. <laughs> a significant amount of uh, my personal time. Uh, and uh, I also believe that I have qualifications that would allow me to perform this job uh, in the way it should be. Uh, because uh, doing research with people who are affected by war is uh, it can it, it, there are a ton of risks associated with that, and um, 
it is important that the person who is in charge understands and is sensitive to these risks. And same goes for exhibi exhibiting, uh, exhibition activities uh, organized during the time of war mm -hmm. in a country that is at war. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it requires a lot of uh, flexibility, understanding of local nuances. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I want to acknowledge that uh, we're publishing this podcast at a time where your country and Ukraine is uh, under invasion and in parts occupation. Um, we'll come to that, I think. But um, when War Child Museum uh, s went to have a presence in Ukraine, what was the difference, if any, uh, the approach? Uh, what did it look like uh, as compared, say, to, to what was in Bosnia? Or, yeah, why have the physical presence uh, there? And how? And how did how went, you went about it? I mean, first of all, uh, I guess uh, our founder believes that this uh, War Childhood Museum can be a global project, that it should not be just a Bosnian project. After mm -hmm. all, it's a unique institution uh, that is uh, solely devoted to uh, presenting children's voices uh, to the world, specifically of children affected by war. Uh, Ukraine became the uh, country in which uh, the World Childhood Museum decided to open its first international office because, well, it was another European country at war. So what we need to understand is that uh, by the time, for example, I joined the office, Ukraine has been at war for six years. And uh, I usually... I do not like really comparing Ukraine and Bosnia because I'm not a Bosnia specialist. Um, there are, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the sad uh, but and maybe unexpected thing is that um, basically, the, uh, for example, uh, the idea of making it a global project, it uh, came um, to Yasminka when he was on tour in Japan and uh, people who survived uh, Hiroshima came to him and said that they read the book and uh, they can relate. Mm -hmm. So if you went through World, World War II and you can relate, then uh, in Ukraine right now, you also can relate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some experiences are very relatable. Yeah. Others are different. Um, the situation uh, at that point, it was uh, something that uh, people uh, believed would become a frozen conflict. So uh, we, uh, the country has, uh, I mean, things seemed to be settling somehow down, status quo, I mean. Uh, part of Ukrainian territory was occupied. Part of Ukrainian territory has been... Uh, mm, under consistent shelling, yeah. like we we have uh, participants from such places as Krasnohorivka, as Marinka, who have been dealing with shelling since 2014, and uh, were dealing with it when they were going to visit our exhibition in 2021. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that. That was it. Uh, what's happening right now is, uh, I guess, uh, I mean, this war is different from what was happening in 2014. 
for many reasons, including the presence of Ukrainian regular army. Um, but of course, it's a very different scope. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough question, to be honest, because so many things are different, even though what is important is that uh, is, is reminding everyone that this is not something that just started. Mm -hmm. Some of our citizens have been living through this for the past eight years. In, in yeah. re reading, uh, I think I use the BBC quite a bit, I admit. Uh, and I think yesterday it, it crossed in an article that f since the invasion of, of February 24th, mm -hmm. right? um, about a hundred, somewhere in the range of 150 children uh, are considered. Or killed. Yeah. And then 180 yeah. injured. Um, and of course, what you're making me remember uh, regarding that number is that does not include uh, everyone in the last six years. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I just mentioned that because um, mm -hmm. I realized that now from what I was reading yesterday, you know, I said, uh -huh. oh, I'll keep that in mind for the interview tomorrow, 150 <laughs> children, but it's of course much more complex than that. Um, with the establishment of the War Child Museum in Ukraine, were the was the approach the same artifacts uh personal stories uh yes uh, but uh, we uh, before we started recording we consulted with local uh, health psychologist uh, with a with a person um, our uh, chief research consultant uh, was at that time um, he, uh, an internally displaced person and a veteran and uh, a local of Luhansk region. So uh, it was very important that we build a questionnaire that is sensitive to uh, people uh, with the experiences of internal displacement, with people, uh, with people who stayed near, live near the front line, people who left Crimea, people whose parents are fighting. Uh, and of course, people on the occupied territories, but that was the whole other story. Uh, we were very slow in developing communication there because uh, it came with significant uh, risks uh, to the participants' lives. So we believe that it's better to be slower um, if possible. And uh, there are then other opportunities appeared uh, as uh, young people, for example, were entering Ukrainian universities. So. There was no need to specifically expose them to this kind of danger. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, uh, we, we had to adjust, but uh, we were relying on the methodology developed by uh, the Poor Childhood Museum, especially since, you know, in Sarajevo, they have been primarily talking to adult people because uh, quite some time has passed since uh, the Bosnian War. But uh, they've also had research projects um, with refugees, with Syrian refugees, with Afghan refugees. So um, those were different questionnaires, different methodologies uh, and approaches to talking to children. So, yeah, um, we were, uh, what was important is that uh, we were established as, uh, of course, a part of this bigger structure, as, which uh, the World Childhood Museum is, but uh, with respect to our local expertise. It was an all Ukrainian team, hmm. and uh, there was this 
reliance on uh, trust uh, in on us in us uh, as uh, people who understand the local context. Um. I mean, I think there's a simple answer to this question, but I think I'm interested in the more compl complex or, or detailed. Um, how now is the work impacted? You're speaking to me from from Bosnia, um, if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, yeah. And and the team, uh, from what I read on the website, uh, moved to to safety. Uh, many who were in Kiev, I believe. Um, but beyond the physical presence of where everyone is, does how does the work carry on or how does it change? Mm -hmm. uh, it does change and it will change in the future. I think we'll have to revise a lot uh, in terms of how we work in the room. Uh, because, for example, uh, initially we were working in a country which has been at war for eight years, but only part of it has been at war. That's why it was uh, important that we build the bridge between people who experienced war and who, those who directly did not, uh, that we remind people about what's happening. We allow uh, those who had this experience to finally talk about it. But, uh, yeah, we were dealing with things that were a little bit more processed because there was a longer period of time. And right now, of course, we are in an acute stage of the armed conflict. Uh, we are talking about literally all the population being affected. Um, people being traumatized, people going through shock. Uh, and um, that, of course, affects uh, the way we approach research. Because uh, there are certain risks when you record interviews with people who are traumatized and in the acute stage. Um, that's why uh, right now we are thinking what we can do safely. Mm -hmm. We are exploring different options. Uh, there is, of course, there is a lot of interest in uh, recording what's happening now, but uh, uh, I do believe that uh, it's important not to rush in this case, um, rather than uh, be able to develop a set of safe procedures, which relates not only to people who might want to participate in uh, donating or talking, but also to researchers. Because, for example, uh, well, half of our researchers were from Eastern Ukraine. And they spent weeks under shelling. And then they had a very long and difficult evacuation. So, uh, yeah, we like they cannot actively engage right now in this type of activities. Uh, in the meantime, we can we continue our exhibition activities abroad. Parallel to this, we are now developing a smaller pop-up exhibition uh, devoted to the war in Ukraine that would be uh, that can be shown uh, at the decision-making centers, uh, parliaments, uh, various types of international organizations, uh, in order to again stimulate empathy and deeper understanding of what it what the personal experience of war means.
because uh, right now we are dealing with the at least in the cultural sphere there is a lot of uh, painful debates or in regard to especially in Europe interestingly enough I think in the US it's less uh, in regard to who should be supported and how mm-hmm and uh, there is a certain uncomfort uh, with the Ukrainians' reactions to these debates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm relating to the programs that European institutions, uh, cultural and educational, are trying to establish that would feature Ukrainian, Russian, and Belarusian participants. And the whole notion of... Uh, how do we deal with Russian culture, with the fascination with the Russian culture? So certain things, uh, it feels that uh, to accept the uh, scale of what is happening in Ukraine, and I do believe that it is quite normal to have uh, certain mental defenses against that, Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, it's unfathomable for a European country. It's, yeah. it's, an, it's unfathomable that uh, a European uh, city has been destroyed to 80%. So there is sometimes certain reluctance in, towards decision-making. Although, I mean, we, we, have a, we receive amazing support. But uh, it's, uh, it's a long run also because uh, hope... Hopefully, when this war stops, uh, then there will need to rebuild. Yeah, and 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 therein lies more, well, more work. And it's all. It, yeah. it will be about money. It will be about a lot of assistance. It's uh, wars are very expensive to begin with. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, that uh, of course our work right now is uh, very very important in this respect. And uh, I also believe that uh, it's very important, especially the interviews that we recorded before February 24th, because uh, because you know, since 2014, there were these discussions, what does it mean, what's happening in Ukraine? Mm-hmm. It, where is it leading now, mm-hmm. uh, us? Mm-hmm. These discussions were also happening in 2008 when Georgia was. Yes. Um, Whose fault is it? And so yes. Uh, yeah. And yet everybody was like, okay, this is, uh, we are not dealing with uh, the World War II type of situation. We are not dealing with that. We're not dealing with that. And then we are dealing with that. We're not exactly dealing with World War II, but we are, uh, although some people can uh, could, uh, disagree with me. Uh, but uh, we're dealing with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are dealing with the full-scale aggression. And uh, a completely inhumane one also that is uh, developing under the m- mottos that are reminding us of uh, genocide and things like that. Yeah. Something of which Ukraine has been talking for quite a while. And everybody's like, no, no, guys, you're fascist, actually. So... Mm-hmm. Don't, right. uh, don't tell us about your victimhood under the Soviet Union. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's been an interesting so uh, situation in the information field, in the field of academic studies, in the field of how we conceptualize Russia, its role in uh, in Europe and Eurasia, and uh, how 
European security is being built. Um, how how does uh, how do the democratic countries negotiate with the countries that are doing such aggressive acts, even though they're smaller ones? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do hope that there will be a lot of talks uh, about could we have prevented this, and uh, the testimony that we have, I hope that it can be used that, uh, to show that you know, guys, you had eight years to think of something, but you you for eight years you have been ignoring mm-hmm. a disaster that has been happening on Ukrainian territory. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's uh, for me as a historian, um, I am, of course, uh, really frustrated that we just uh, jumped into the whole same swamp that we did in the 1930s, 1940s. And mm-hmm. we spent so much time and effort in researching how that happened, why they happened, what could be done. And now we're here again. Repeat the same mistakes. Yeah, yes. I was thinking about many things as you as you uh, take us through both your experience and and the work and and how it relates to what's happening and been happening. Um, I was wanted to go back to the well-being of people who do this work, and and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm thinking this also because I'm aware that we have listeners who are some people call themselves change makers or activists, people who are in different ways engaging communities to try to make things better for as many as possible. There you are with the War Childhood Museum. And as you mentioned, uh, it's not just, of course, the, the the victims and the people who have lived through war who suffer the trauma, but there's also that experience of the person who does the research, the person who does the interviews, uh, who is impacted, right? Um, yes. Not, not unlike in many ways, uh, I think a change maker who were, works hands-on with people who are struggling. Also impacted. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of details to this, but give us a little, if you can, how does the War Childhood Museum approach this with their staff? Even maybe with you, you know, what's what support do you get? I'm curious. Well, uh, our staff, I mean, it's, it's not big. Um, We we have two lines of work right now. Uh, first of all, all our staff members who expressed a wish to receive uh, psychotherapeutic support are receiving it. Um, actually, well, some of us are in therapy for quite a while, so that's just an established line. And I do believe that it's important for people who deal with such topics because... Um, um, For people who experienced war, it's enough that they experienced that. They do not need to experience also the interviewers' um, issues. Yeah. Um, and uh, that for us is very important. To, uh, also, parallel to this, we are now focusing on supporting our researchers. In uh, So we did the needs assessment and uh, we are consulting them on the Uh, possibilities of, for example, getting temporary fellowships. Um, in just finding some 
a safe space to work and uh, an income because uh, most of them they, they work with us on a contract basis. So uh, we were not their primary place of employment, meaning they, they lost uh, their income right now uh, from the universities with which they were affiliated. Um, in the meantime, um, I, we are very careful in approaching them with uh, uh, requests to record because uh, right now it's it's really not a good time. Uh, so that's, uh, I guess, we are in the process of uh, figuring out how we can best serve uh, our team members. Uh, normally, what we have been doing, because, uh, you know, even, even uh, when everybody was, uh, well, when our team was more or less safe uh, and residing in cities uh, where there was peace, um, recording interviews with people affected by war is emotionally difficult. That's why, uh, well, first uh, I hired a wonderful research manager, Svetlana Sipchuk, uh, who is very sensitive to these matters and very educated in them. So um, uh, we, we started uh, and proceeding uh, with developing uh, different sessions where uh, our um, interviewers could uh, share their work experiences, uh, certain challenges that came up, and uh, we were also working on uh, getting what's called intervision sessions uh, with professionals uh, who provide such services for people engaged in uh, highly sensitive research. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, it's it's very important and. Uh, uh, I think for me it's important to say right now, because uh, in Ukraine right now, uh, quite a few initiatives are popping up uh, to that call on uh, let's record right now the lived experience of war. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am rather, uh, to me as an oral history researcher, this is rather problematic, not only because the uh, thing is, uh, you never record true experience, like, Mm -hmm. People tell you what they can tell you now, right. right? And then they can they tell you what they can tell you then. Mm -hmm. uh, people are always in some kind of very particular circumstances, uh, either uh, material ones uh, or emotional ones. Uh, like now, for example, many of them would not be able to address many issues. Many something very painful. They would not go into that because uh, it's a defense mechanism. It, uh, so it's uh, my general uh, skepticism here is that um, whether there is a need to do that um, and to what extent. Uh, but parallel to this, uh, there is a situation that the interviewers are also the people who are traumatized. The interviewers are people who have their relatives uh, in unsafe places, even if they are in safe places. Uh, the interviewers are those who uh, have to evacuate uh, if they are in the safe place. And that was like, as a person who did evacuate, it's a, it leaves a trace in your memory. And so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, as, as, I, as I said earlier, uh, 
it's it's very important to differentiate between in such especially in such times when uh, so many people you know there is this rush to help to be useful the question is how and whether you are qualified to do that mhm yeah and that i think is uh, what every person should have a very honest answer to uh, before they do anything are you actually qualified to do that and who are you doing it for also yeah yeah it's that somewhat difficult to acknowledge fact that in trying to do good or intending to do good you can do harm yes and that having good intentions alone is not enough right is not guaranteeing yeah. yeah yeah because also like are you saving other people are you saving yourself because mm. <laughs> you know the emotions of feeling helpless they are not so easy to live through uh-huh. yeah emotions of shame of guilt and so on yeah very good points Celia thank you thank you so much for <laughs> for all of that really um and and i th- again not unlike when we talk about the artifacts and the stories from the war childhood museum i think that these are subjects that um wherever you are in the world <laughs> if you listen <laughs> you you may find something in common i i, I think you, you regardless if you've been a person who's been dis- displaced uh or lived through a conflict or, or anything like that that you could hear and and find something so clearly in common or something that you understand um mm-hmm. without even having experienced it right um yeah yeah i i would just uh, say something short on that uh because sometimes i i, I do believe that these everyday objects uh, are very powerful because sometimes it's not uh, uh, it's not important to show you the like big scale of tragedy, the, the atrocities of war, because uh, that uh, from that uh, our psyche uh, it uh, it separates us pretty well. Sometimes it's important to show the gap between your own experience and somebody else's experience, and this is what these everyday objects do. When you when you show something that is in in your world is associated with safety and Mm. comfort and love and you see it completely destroyed emotionally the effect might be much more much stronger maybe powerful in gaining a better understanding what the war is what is this deep lack of safety like total absence of safety how do you express that Yulia Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I want to make sure to give every, every opportunity for those who who can help um, and are qualified in some way. Um, is there, whether it's information or maybe an actual action that people could take that would in any way help uh, the War Childhood Museum, uh, whether it's today or later in the, in the year, by all means, uh, share, tell me, I'll share it. Uh, well, you can always donate um, uh, by going to our website. There is a donate button, and that will lead you to 
yeah. that. Uh, we, of course, uh, always welcome people who would like to tell their stories of war childhood. Because, again, we look at it as an international experience. Uh, it's a global experience and, uh, in a way, a global community. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and uh, please help and support children affected by war whenever, wherever you are. But, uh, unfortunately, in the context of the current war in Ukraine uh, and the news that I've been receiving... Uh, Let's put it this way, international, big international UN-affiliated organizations have unfortunately turned out to be uh, rather ineffective. Mm -hmm. So when you, are, when, when you want to donate directly to affect uh, children's well-being, it's better to contact local organizations. Okay. Yulia Skubitska, thank you so much for taking the time and... We wish you all the best that is possible these days and we'll be thinking of you and um, yeah, it's, I think it's been a wonderful conversation, learned a lot. Thank you. Yulia Skubitska is a scholar and a project director at the War Childhood Museum in Ukraine. She spoke to us in March. Once again, I want to acknowledge that this interview was published months since it was recorded, and I still just thought the message was valid, and it's produced in association with Masterpiece, uh, that being my employer, and the reason that I was able to get in touch with Yulia as a friend of Masterpiece, the War Childhood Museum is an important friend. So thank you to Yulia, and once again, apologies for the delay and... As a listener, I hope that the experience was still worth something. I'm glad you came along for the ride. Anyway, until next time, I'm Bicycle Mark. See ya. Thank you for listening to citizenreporter.org.